Amen. Well, I, I just met Jim this morning. I think a lot of you know Jim, um, but uh, actually, if I, if I heard right, is it Dr. Jim Dillo? Yes. Okay. We'll just give Jim a warm welcome here this morning. We're thankful he's here. Thank you. Well, thank you, Pastor Sean, and uh, what a joy to be with you this morning. Thank you for the privilege to come and uh, share again. I appreciate Pastor Brian inviting us, and uh, I, uh, Susan, I've been praying for he and the group. Uh, what, a, what a great experience to go to Papua New Guinea. That's kind of like going to Springfield, but uh, uh, maybe a bit further. I, I understand that uh, on the trip out, they had a 14-hour delay in San Diego or 11 hour that wasn't planned or something like that. Cindy didn't know about that. <laughs> I won't say any more. That's all I have to say about that. Luke chapter 18, I'll get there in just a little bit. I was going to have some fun this morning. I, I tell you, it's a joy to get to, to know your youth pastor, Pastor Sean. He's preaching tonight from Luke chapter 11. And just for honoring us, I was going to say my message today is from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. But, but, that, but that's his tonight. So you'll want to come uh, because it, it strengthens what uh, the Lord has given me to share with you this morning. You know this, but let me just uh, remind us today that our only lasting hope is found in the persistence of knowing and doing the will of our Heavenly Father. We all understand that. As believers, that's, uh, that comes early to us to know the fullness of what God needs us to do and calls us to do uh, is our hope and it is our joy. Now, to accomplish this, to understand this, God uses praying and preaching his holy word to lead us into action in fulfilling the desires of his heart and his will. And you are blessed in this congregation because every Sunday you hear a good message. Pastor Brian does a fantastic job, and he is faithful and true to the Word. But uh, uh, preaching does not always come easy for pastors. And I know there are some who say, well, that it, it ought to, after these 40-some years that, uh, that you've been preaching, it ought to just, just, just come. Well, if you just want a sermon, it can come easily. But I'm not interested in just giving you a sermon. I'm interested in sharing what God needs for his people to hear. And sometimes I struggle with that. And when I'm struggling, I do what every pastor does. I read the scripture, obviously, and uh, just keep asking, Lord, show me, show me, show me. And sometimes the scripture isn't real clear. And so then I'll read some thoughts from some other guys and... and, uh, I'll say, Lord, is it one of these things that you need me to share? And even on occasion, I'll dig out an old sermon and read through it and, and, and ask the Lord, is this something I need to redo and refresh and, and share with people? And uh, that doesn't happen very often. The Lord said, I've heard that once. It isn't worth hearing again. But, uh, <laughs> but sometimes it just doesn't come easy. And, uh, but one of the things that was taught to me in my early years of ministry in the second church where I served as associate pastor, uh, the senior pastor there, Pastor Clifton Norell, said this one day, and I've never forgotten it. He said, Jim, if you really want to truly know what God needs you to share with his people, be among them. Listen to them. 
Because God speaks through the congregation to the pastor. And he's absolutely right. And so the message that I'm sharing with you today came from folks just like you. I, on Sunday nights at Carthage, Missouri, and by the way, it's a joy to have Rod and Sheila Pollard here today. Susan and I invited them. Uh, Sheila was my office manager for all the years I was district superintendent, and uh, she kept me in line, and, and uh, literally, I'd go in and say, what do I need to do today? And she'd say, you need to do this, and I'd do it. <laughs> and then I'd go home, and I'd say, Susan, what do you need me to do today? And she'd say, you need to do this, and I'd do it. So I, I'm, just a, I'm just a Nike guy. I just do it. But, but uh, the message today comes from folks just like you. How many of you have seen War Room, the movie War Room? I understand you showed it here in the, in the sanctuary. It's a beautiful, fantastic movie. And uh, as I was thinking about today and asking the Lord to, to give me a, a word from him to you, uh, I was reminded of a question that has been asked to me by my Sunday night crowd, the Sunday night crowd at Carthage, where I preach almost every Sunday night. And uh, over the past three or four weeks, there have been at least two dozen or more who have said to me, Pastor Jim, have you seen War Room? Have you seen War Room? Have you seen War Room? And finally, I was able to say, yes, my sister gave us the DVD for Christmas, and so we've watched it. And it is a powerful movie. It's... Uh, the story of a family that's struggling and, and uh, connects with many families today. A family under assault, Satan is attacking their marriage, their home, Tony and Elizabeth Jordan. Tony is a top pharmaceutical rep and uh, Elizabeth is a successful realtor and yet they are not happy in their marriage and they're fighting and struggling but uh, God brings Elizabeth and Miss Clara together. Miss Clara is an older lady who wants to sell her home, and so Elizabeth comes, and she's showing her through the home. And as she's showing her the home, she takes her to this one closet area, and uh, she says to Elizabeth, this is my most favorite room in the house. She said, I call this my war room. And you, they step into the closet, and there pasted on the wall are just multitudes of prayers that, that Miss Clara has been praying for people. Certainly, we are living in a day when prayer must prevail. Our only lasting hope is in knowing and doing the will of the Heavenly Father, as we've already said, and God reveals that to us as we seek His face. War Room is somewhat of a modern-day parable that's uh, really based on Luke chapter 11 that, uh, that Pastor Sean's going to use in his message this evening, and Luke chapter 18 that I want to leave with us this morning. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning with verse 1 from Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. We could stop right there and go home and ask the Spirit to just saturate our souls with that, with that thought alone. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. 
For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the the unjust judge says. And I, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then this last sentence is intriguing to me, and I'm not going to preach about it this morning, but someday I hope the Lord lets me develop a sermon in, in response to this. However, when the, he, talk, he encourages us to pray, talks about being faithful. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Father, it's your word. Bless it to our souls this day, I pray. Amen. The question is not, should we pray? The question is, how persistent are we in our praying? Persistence, is it an agony or blessing? The answer is both. Now, I'm not talking about when, when I mention persistence, I'm not talking about just, just hanging in there. I'm encouraging us to be persistent for and with God, our Heavenly Father. Persistence is not a, a biblical term alone. You can be persistent about a multitude of things. Take Gary Duschel, for example, in, on March the 11th, 1965, which was a few years back. He began creating a gum wrapper chain from discarded Wrigley gum wrappers. And uh, for those of us who were alive in that era, that was the fad back then. The only thing with Gary Duschel is he has not stopped. On March the 11th, 2014, he continued his reign as Guinness World Record holder with, seven, with a 78,550-foot long gum wrapper chain containing, and I don't know who counted these, it wasn't me, containing 1,877,538 wrappers. Now, here's the kicker. When I read this, I just, I just couldn't believe this. Do you know what the monetary value in gum purchased is for this record? $131,007. There's a dentist somewhere saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> I want him to be my, be my patient. Persistence. There's a precious lady. His name is Cha Sasun. She is a grandmother who lives in a remote village in South Korea. She always wanted to learn how to drive, but there really wasn't any need for her to drive in the place where she lived. But uh, in her 60s, she said, I'm going to do it. So she, she set out to learn how to drive, start taking the driver's test. She failed the written portion, which was 60 multiple choice questions. I mean, uh, 40 multiple, 40 multiple choice questions. She failed it 949 times. On the 950th time, she got a passing grade of 60, and she just was elated. But then came the driving test. She didn't know much about it, but she was a little more successful with that. It only took her four tries to pass the driving test. 
But by this time, she was classified and known as a hero in South Korea because of her persistence. And uh, Kia Car Company gave her a brand new soul, Kia Soul, for passing the test and making the grade. And they featured her in, in their commercials. Persistence. Well, you say, well, Pastor Jim, I'm not a gum chewer and I already have a driver's license. Well, this, is, this, this next one's for you. Donald Unger cracked the knuckles in his left hand, left hand 36,500 times. The reason? To prove his mother-in-law and his aunt wrong when they began telling him, and he had heard it as a little boy as well, but when they began to, 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 continue, to, to say to him, if you keep doing that, you're going to have arthritis in your knuckles. He became a medical doctor. And so instead of just doing this to prove his mother-in-law and his, and his aunt wrong, he said, let's make a study out of this. And um, so he kept doing this, and finally he wrote a paper and the title of his paper was, it's kind of an unusual title, Does Knuckle Cracking Lead to Arthritis of the Fingers? That's original. I mean, no, that's his, but I thought that, well, that fits. And uh, after 50 years of cracking his knuckles, two times a day, every day, this was his finding. I'm arthritis-free, and so no knuckle cracking does not cause arthritis. Persistence. Some of you are saying, boy, I'm sure glad I came to church to hear this. This is is wonderful. Pastor Jim's really on today. Persistence. Well, the next one's even better. Jesus is not calling us to make a chain out of gum wrappers or get a driver's license or crack our knuckles. But hear me, loved ones. Jesus is calling us to be persistent in our coming to the Father in prayer. Persistence in prayer means endurance, a determination that says, I will never give up. I will keep believing and trusting that God will do what he says he will do. Someone in this congregation and in congregations all across the Joplin district and in the Church of the Nazarene had this kind of persistence and determination in the early days of the church. God said, this is what I want my people to do. And someone said, if God says it, this is what we must do and need to do. And they were persistent and they obeyed. Sometimes endurance means that you stand alone, but Let me encourage you this morning, not standing alone in a stubborn way, but in the assured way that this is what God is leading us to do. We are called to be persistent, but to be persistent in prayer, and that means that we endure, that we pray our way through, that we allow God, our Heavenly Father, to hear the cry of our heart. But persistence in prayer also means that it creates an expecting and an anticipating spirit. What do you expect God to do when you pray? What are you, what are you anticipating that God will do when you pray? In the very first church where Susan and I were associate pastors, it was in Carnegie, Oklahoma, and uh, we met a family there by the name of Leroy and Helma McCullough. 
and they came to, to know the Lord later in life. And one day I was visiting with Leroy, and I said, Leroy, tell me how you, how you came to know Jesus as your personal Savior. And he said, well, Pastor, he said, it's, this, this is how it happened. He said, uh, my mother was a member of the Nazarene Church in Lawton, Oklahoma, which was a, ways from, a little ways from Carnegie. And they were in revival, and she said to me, she said, Leroy, she lived on the same property where they had their, their home. She said, Leroy, would you take me to revival tonight? And uh, Leroy said, yes, Mom. said, Helma and I will take you to revival, and they did. Except they took her to the church and let her out and said, we'll be back in about an hour or so and, and pick you up. Well, when they returned, it just so happened that there was a parking space right in front of the church. And it was in the summertime, and so the doors were open. It was the, before the days of air conditioning, and, and the McCulloughs had the windows down on their car. And just as they pulled up to the curb to wait for their mother, they were singing the invitation hymn in the revival service. And they were sit, sitting there and taking that all in, and there was someone in the church, some gentleman standing at the back of the church, saw them pull up, walked out to the car, and just simply said, Leroy, don't you think God is speaking to you tonight? And Leroy and Helen, with a broken spirit, got out of the car and made their way from the curb to the altar, knelt at an altar of prayer, and were gloriously saved. You say, Pastor, what a coincidence. No, thank God for a praying mother. Leroy said mom had been praying for us for, for a long, long time and mom kept expecting and believing that God was going to, to bring us to faith and uh, so thank the Lord for praying mother. That was in the 60s. Well, you quickly do the math and you say, Pastor Jim, that's over 45 years ago. God doesn't work that way today. Well, don't tell Jerry that. Not many months back, a co-worker got a burden for Jerry, and she began praying for him and uh, invited him to church, and she first invited him to small group, and he liked that, and so he came to church, and he liked what he experienced there, and he attended for about a month or so, and at the close of a Sunday morning service, this just a few months back, at the close of a Sunday morning service, God, through the, power, the convicting power of his spirit, got a hold of his heart, and he came to an altar and was gloriously saved. Not long after that, he said, Pastor, I need to be, uh, I need to be baptized. And uh, the pastor said, we can make that happen. Today, I, I, I was visiting with pastor about this just a few days ago. Well, he said, and I told him I'd use this illustration. He said, well, let me, let me add to it. He said, just a couple of weeks ago, Jerry's son came to me. And he said, Pastor, I, I think maybe God's calling me to preach. Oh, you say, that's pretty recent. God's still doing that. It wasn't just back in the 60s, it's today. Julie experienced that. She attended a Beth Moore conference and, and she was convicted in the service, but she didn't go forward at that time. But that evening when she was in her room, she, she just felt the convicting power of the Spirit and she knelt by her bed and confessed her sins and asked Jesus to forgive her. And the Lord gloriously saved her and came into her heart and she immediately got up 
And with today's technology, she took her phone and she sent a text to her father-in-law and told him what had happened. Why? Because she knew that her father-in-law had been praying for her. And he had been expecting and he had been anticipating that God was going to reach his children. And one by one, they slowly are coming into the presence of a knowledge of what it means to know Jesus as your personal Savior. That happened just a few weeks ago. It's happening here. I, I know it's happening in our churches. God is still working. Do we expect God to answer our prayer? Do we anticipate that he will? Or, or do we simply hope that he will. God will answer. When we surrender totally and completely to him, God will answer. I mentioned Miss Clara in the war room. This is her statement. You need to plead with God to do what only he can do and then get out of the way and let him do it. Praise his holy name. Persistence. Persistence in prayer brings the assurance of God's blessing. And that brings us to the scripture passage this morning. The persistent widow, the unmerciful judge, as this is sometimes referred to. I don't care how you label it. The important thing is that that there was an answer. Simon Kistemaker, in writing about this passage of scripture, says, God listens to his people because he loves them and vindicates their cause. The judge acts selfishly. God acts on behalf of his people. Paul expressed it a bit differently when he said, pray without ceasing. If God's people cry out, Kistemaker goes on to say, day and night, God will answer. Oh, there are times when he keeps us waiting. There are times when he exercises our patience. There are times when he may use the time to strengthen our faith. But in proper time, God will answer the prayers of his people. Because God is not like the unjust judge who refuses to listen. God is not annoyed when his people cry out to him. He invites us. He is anxious for us to come. I don't want you to answer this question, but I want you to think about it for a minute this morning. Has God ever said to you, don't ever talk to me about that again? I don't think so. God doesn't tire of us coming. He wants us to be persistent. He wants us, he wants us, I, I, read, I read the thought of one man, he, and, and basically this is what he said. He said, God, God delights in, in being annoyed with us. He likes for us to come. He likes to hear. He likes to know that we are calling upon him. Second Chronicles 7.14 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. If my people who are called by my, name will, my, by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. One more word from Kistemaker. God does not delay For his ear is attuned to the voice of his children. We have five grandchildren, soon to have six. In May, we have a little granddaughter who's coming, and her name at this point anyway is Ava Lynn. I was really holding out for Arma so that we could have an armadillo in our family, but uh, (laughs) that... uh, uh, and so I've decided how I'm going to solve that. We're, 
We're going to get a dog one of these days. It's going to be a girl dog, and we're going to name her Arma. So we'll have an armadillo. But uh, our youngest grandson, uh, grandchild Jace, when he was born, had some issues. And just, a, just a, two or three hours old, they discovered that he was having trouble breathing. And so we knew nothing. We just knew they were scurrying around. And, and it wasn't until the, the, the folks from Children's Barnes Jewish Hospital in St. Louis came into the room and said, we're going to transport little Jace to our facility because there are some issues that we need to take care of. Of course, we were devastated. We were frightened. Jeff and Raya were just overwhelmed with it all. And, uh, but we knew that, uh, that this is what had to happen. And so they said to us, they said, now give us about 45 minutes and then, then uh, you can come and be with little Jace. And so it was decided that Susan and, and Teresa, uh, Mariah, daughter-in-law's mother, would stay with, with Mariah, and Jason and I would go to the children's hospital. We walked in. It was, it was amazing. We walked in, and, and they greeted us, and uh, they, they welcomed us, and they said, you're Jeff, uh, speaking to our son. So you're Jeff, you're, you're Jason's daddy, and, and uh, you must be Jason's grandpa. And uh, we acknowledged that. And so they told us what was wrong, that little issue with a wet lung, and he would be there for about five or six days, but everything was going to be okay. And uh, so we walked into the room where he was, and there he was in the little, little incubator-type thing, or a little crib, wasn't an incubator, but a crib-type thing, and tubes and needles and all that uh, was necessary to correct the problem. And when we walked in, Jace was turned away from us. And uh, our son, who is about six foot five, just walked up to the little bassinet where he was. And he just simply said this. He said, Jace, Daddy is here. And the moment he spoke those words... This little baby who was just a few hours old didn't have his eyes opened, but he turned his face in the direction of his father's voice. Well, he said, Pastor Jim, what's that have to do with us? I think it has a lot to do with us. When we cry out in earnest to our heavenly father, his face is turned in the direction of of the voice of his children. He is anxious to hear us. He is anxious to hear from us. He is anxious to respond to us. Be persistent. Persistence. Agony or blessing. Well, it's agony if we are not sincere in our faith as we approach the Heavenly Father. But it's a blessing when we come in full surrender pleading with the God who created us, with the one who knows us best and rejoices when he hears the sound and the voice of his children crying, Abba, Father. We're close to the Easter season and in that setting, somewhere along the way, we will journey with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane and what what an overwhelming 
experience as we read from year to year what occurred in the garden. But there's an, there's an intriguing factor that we quite often overlook in this prayer. We need to back up just a little bit. You remember in Matthew chapter 6 when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. What He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, which is a beautiful way to pray. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. But the significance of, of this moment in Gethsemane is this. Jesus is not praying our Father. Jesus is praying my Father. In the midst of all of his majesty, even though he is our God, corporately, he is our God. As the body of believers, he is our God. In moments like these, he is excited when we come to him and we say, my Father, my Lord, my God. He is that personal with us as well, just as he was with Jesus. If it's possible, let this cup pass for me, but I'm not interested in doing what I want to do. I want to do what you need me to do. And, and in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have the recording, that beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. Gethsemane, the intimacy, the intimacy of the moment, reflects my Father. The agony of prayer from the sacrificial lamb of Calvary purchased for us the blessing of the cross, the blessing of forgiveness. And loved ones, our world is in desperate need today for the people of God to be persistent, even bothersome to God in prayer. The God who prevented wars throughout history, the God who won, has won wars throughout history, the God who mends broken hearts and lives, the God who sent his only son to pay the price for our sin, the God who gave all, yet says to us, I forgive you because I love you. The God who has changed the hearts of wicked leaders. The God who has placed godly men and women in positions of leadership so that his name could be praised and his standard held high is the very same God who can and will and still makes a difference in our world today. But it's our responsibility. It's our, it's our blessing. It's our agony and our persistence and crying out to him that makes it happen. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, we get it. You want us to pray? Yes, I do. I want you to keep on praying. You know how to pray, but I want you to keep on praying. And, and I want you to go beyond now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. There's nothing wrong with that prayer, but I want you to go beyond that. I want you to go beyond God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. That's a beautiful prayer, but there's more to it than that. Every Monday evening at Carthage Church, there's a group of people who pray this prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That's a beautiful prayer, but I want us to go beyond that because God is calling us to the war room. God is calling us to be persistent. God is calling us to stand in the gap for our nation and for our church and for our people. What a beautiful sight this morning as folks were anointed on behalf of others. God wants, God rejoices in that. But that can happen not only in the sanctuary of a church, it can happen in our homes. God wants us and needs us to be persistent. 
I've mentioned Miss Clara. It's about three minutes and nine seconds long. You've listened very, very well. And I thank you for that. But give me three more minutes as you listen to the prayer in closing of a godly lady.